0: Wales for the invitation to come. It's been good to meet you and uh, glad to meet all of you folks, at least as a group, if not, not individually. I know it's, it's strange for me after 36 years at two churches, it's always been strange for me to go to another church because you're always used to. Certain groups of people sitting here and sitting there, and you feel more comfortable. You would think I would be a little too old to get nervous, but that's never left me yet. It doesn't matter if I'm home or not, uh, or somewhere else. Um, Brother Wells asked me if I could come and preach, and I hesitated because uh, I I started the process of retiring and uh, well, it'd be two years this summer. It was a year before the deacons ever took me seriously. And uh, so, a, you know, that was like setting a bomb off in the church. But uh, anyway, with with the uh, COVID and all of that, and online services and parking lot services, and you don't know what people expect. I used to try to shake hands with people anymore. I think if they had a gun, they'd pull it on you if you when to shake hands with them, so it's uh, the last I preached. Up, my wife and I went south, January and February, which was a mistake. We might as well stayed home because the weather wasn't any better where we went, and uh, so I came back and preached three funerals during that time. So that's the last I preached was three funerals. Always, uh, of course, that's a little you're kind of limited on your text there and your subject, and uh, but the Lord called me to preach about 40 years ago, and I didn't understand why. I still don't understand why, and I don't guess I ever will. It's kind of like trying to figure out why God loves me. I've never been able to do that, never figured out why he wants me to preach, never have figured that out. A whole lot of things I haven't figured out. In fact, there's a whole lot more things I don't know than I do know, and um, I'll be like the preacher I used to use for revival. He was a he was a blind preacher from South Carolina. He said he went to California one time and preached, and pre- preached in a black church. Of course, he's blind, and he said he sung for an hour and a half and took up four offerings. And he said that uh, when he got up to preach, the preacher said, we don't want no short sermons. He said, I preached everything I knew and a whole lot of things I didn't know. <laughs> so... We don't want to get into anything like that, but I would like to just take a minute and give you my testimony, just a short version of it. If it would take too long. I think folks feel a little more comfortable if they know person that is preaching to them. But I was saved in 1978. I won't tell you how bad of a sinner I was, because God knows, uh, Way he did know. He's forgot all of it now, he says, and so uh, even he don't know, I met a fella Again, after reconnected after a lot of years, and he started telling old tales about what we used to do and where we used to go. And I said, "That guy's dead. You know, we do not even talking about him anymore." Um, but I was saved, as I know, as a direct result of the prayers of my mother and some other people had had no intentions of being saved, didn't know what being saved was. I knew the preacher who was preaching that morning that my wife and I both were saved. And I didn't have any confidence in him at all. I had known him for years. And he was a cousin of mine. I, I thought at the time he was a crook. And he could have been. I don't know. But somehow or another, God used him that morning to tell me something I'd never heard. And that was, I said, I went all my life, went to all kinds of religion, all kinds of stuff. Heard all kind, uh, I heard I was going to hell so many times that it. Uh, I knew that for a fact. It was the first time in all those years, I was 25 years old, and it was the first time in all those years anybody ever told me that God loved me. I already knew the hell part. (laughs) I didn't get saved because I was going to hell, because I already knew that was sure. But uh, God got a hold of my heart, and I I truly believe in, in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't need a preacher, he just needs the word, he just needs the gospel preached. Somehow or another, that morning, I was able to understand it. I received Christ and became a new creature. Uh, My mother that day gave me a a brand new Schofield Bible, the old Schofield Bible. And I started reading it. I went to sleep reading it. I woke up reading it, and I read it every moment in between. It was a cross-reference Bible, and I read every cross-reference in that Bible. I didn't know what I was reading the biggest part of the time, but... uh, It wasn't long a few years, it all began to fall in place, and going to Sunday school and church, and, you know, one line, line upon line, precept upon precept, and I was willing uh, to do whatever. If They said, we need a ditch dug, I got my pick and shovel. We need blocks laid, I got my trowel. I I did everything that I knew to do when there was a need to do it, and, and I was there every time the doors were opened. And God did a work in my heart after that and calling me to preach that was much worse than being convicted of my lostness, <laughs> being lost. I didn't understand what it was. I, I thought I might be going a little bit mental. And uh, I was about to check in somewhere. And the preacher preached on surrendering to Christ. And God spoke to my heart. And I surrendered to preach. And, and of course, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, but... Um, I preached in two churches, one in Welch, West Virginia for seven years and then there was a uh, depression that hit that part of the country that almost had us starving. Everybody left, all the work shut down and, and so I find, found myself struggling to keep my family fed and about that time they called me to come to Crow Baptist Church of all places in the community of Crow, West Virginia. If you've ever been to Grandview Park, it's right down the hill from that. It's now a national park, and uh, I've been there ever since. In uh, 2012, I, I started having some issues and found out that I had a, a bad heart. There wasn't anything that stents could cure or that, or that uh, bypasses could cure. It was just, a, they said, a virus had hit my heart and weakened it down. And They were talking about heart transplants and all kinds of things. And I struggled... Uh, Up until, like I said, a couple of years ago, and uh, there are days I feel good, and there's days I can't hardly do anything. But thank God for the days when I can, and I promise God I'll do what I can, and when I do feel good enough, and I'll pray the rest of the time. (laughs) So uh, I want you to feel comfortable that I'm saved. I didn't get saved any different than you did if you're saved, and uh, I'm I'm proud to be here this morning, like many pearl. I'm just proud to be here, and. is getting to the point where I'm proud to be anywhere anymore. So, uh, I'm going to get you, if you would, to turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's in the 14th chapter, chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. And as I said, it's uh, it's very familiar. Um, I prayed. I don't know about about other preachers. For me, I, I take it very seriously. I found out a long time ago not to argue with God when God gives you a sense that this is what you ought to preach, just go ahead and preach it. I've talked myself out of probably a lot of good messages by debating it with God and arguing with God about it, just didn't want to do it, didn't feel like I ought to, and it all, they always bombed, all, all those always bombed, you know, I knew they were a, they were bombing when I did it, and um, so I've decided whatever God lays on my heart, so it's a process This wasn't the only thing I could think of preaching, I could think of a thousand things to preach, and I did begin that in just a broad sense of trying to narrow it down, and this is what God led me to. I'd made these notes a long time ago on this passage, and I've preached this passage many times, but as anybody will tell you that preachers, uh, it's not always the same message. And there's one reason why that we say familiar passages of scripture, you know what I'm talking about. Psalm 23, right? Somebody says, familiar passage, Psalm 23, John 3:16, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. There's a reason why preachers use those passages. The a reason why that we go to them so often is because they're so vast and they're, they're so comforting and they're so good for us. And so this morning, I don't know what your practice is, but if you're able to stand, would you stand as we read our text today? And I'll have a word of prayer, and as God leads, I'll bring you the message And I've got my watch on, if that means anything, and I can see that clock. Just all I've got to do is remind me to look at it, okay, and we'll get you out of here. John chapter 14, the first six verses. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, i go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your inspired and infallible word. Thank you for this opportunity this morning to come and worship you. God, I know today it's not what we can get out of the service, but it's what we can give to you. Lord, we just pray today that, God, you'll be honored and pleased by our attendance here today and for the thoughts of our heart. and God, now I pray that you'll direct me. The Holy Spirit of God would help me. And if there would be one under, under the sound of my voice today that knows not Christ as their Savior. May the Holy Spirit come now and convict them and show them their need of Christ before it's eternally too late. So God, take charge of us, we pray. And God, when we leave this place today, may we leave here rejoicing and giving you thanks for being in the house of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, in this context here, the Lord is trying to prepare his disciples for the time when he's going to be departing this earth. And he's going to go to the cross. So he he is preparing them. In fact, the first verse is, let not your heart be troubled. And at the announcement of Christ that he was going to enter into Jerusalem and he was going to be delivered into the hands of sinners and he was going to be crucified and slain and then be raised again from the dead three days later, they were troubled and they had every reason to be troubled. At the thought of, look, we've all lost someone who's left us and went somewhere else or whatever or has met a tragic end. But to have this man leave you, this, this man that they'd been with now, uh, uh, I would say, three years. And they had lived with him, and they had watched him, and they had listened to the words that he spoke. And they had observed him as he healed people, as he interacted with others. They knew there was never such love upon this earth as this man had. And he was dear to each one of them. And so their heart is troubled. And he said, Don't let your heart be troubled. You know, we live in a troubled world, and uh, look, if I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I would be troubled. I would, I would be more than troubled. But he speaks about their, their heart being troubled. He also speaks about the Father's house, in my Father's house. I, I've thought about that many times. I, now, I believe he's, we could say heaven here, He's talking about the Father's house, he's, He went back to the Father. He's coming again to receive us and take us where he is. So I'm just going to say that's heaven, the Father's house. And he says he's going there to prepare a place for us. I always thought, look, if if he, and he did, uh, created this world and everything in it in six days, and he's been gone, what, 2,000 years. If he did all that in six days, what in the world have we got to look forward to in 2,000 years of the Lord preparing us, a place that we might spend eternity. So I know then by this that heaven is a, a real place. It's not a, a state of mind, as some people believe, or a, or a dream. They say you're, just, you're only dreaming. This heaven you talk about is just, it's just a dream. And then he talks about coming again. He's going to come again. He's going to receive us unto himself. We know he's referring there to the rapture of the church, the first phase phase of that second coming. And uh, so he's coming again, and we're told that we should wait for him to come. And we're told that we should watch for him to come. We should look for him to come, and we should listen for him to come, because he says, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, so there's going to be some noise involved in that, so we should be listening, and then he sets forth the way to heaven, he says, I am the way, and I'm glad he didn't say, I'm one of the ways, (laughs) he's the only way, the only way to heaven. You know, when I first became a Christian, and as I said, as I was reading, and as I was studying on my own, and later on, of course, I went, and let other people teach me, thank God for that, but I thought about heaven as the place, and is a place, we just read your Jesus said it's a place, it's, it's a real place, and it exists today, and Christians when they die go to heaven, they go to be in the presence of the Lord, so, but that's about the only way that I thought about heaven, I thought about all that heaven was. I thought about the foundation of heaven. I thought about, I thought about the precious stones of heaven. I thought about the gates of, of pearl. And every several gates was just one pearl. I thought about all of, all of those things. I thought about streets, not just of gold, but of pure gold. As Trans, of transparent glass, John writes in Revelation. Right? So I, I thought about that place, and every time I would think about heaven, I, I, would, I would think about the place. Then you read about the size, not not of heaven, but of the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Vast, a vast place. A thousand five hundred mile cube. And one side of it would go from Boston to Florida. All of them down our east coast, that's just one side of it, right? And then it goes the other way, and the other way, and the other way, and then it goes up. Same amount of time. You talk about some volume. I, I read this. And I don't know how accurate it is, I, I'll take their word for it. But it says, it says this, of the total number of humans that have ever lived on this planet, one estimate of it, puts the figure at around 106.5 billion people so far have lived on this earth. I, I don't know if that's right or not, I, I'll take their word for it. Then it says, for the sake of argument, if we assume each and every one gets a place in the city, in the city of New Jerusalem, that leaves enough room for everyone. And that's 106.5 billion. I doubt all of them were saved. <laughs> Jesus said, my flock will be a little flock, right? But he said, if all of them saved, everybody will have a house that's 1,500 feet one side, 1,500 feet the other side, 1,500 feet square, right? A total square footage in that house of 2.5, 2-5 million square feet for you, okay, just for you. Now, my wife and I, <laughs> our little house, <laughs> just the living part of it, it's about 55 feet long by about 30 or whatever. We can't hardly take care of that, okay? <laughs> so it's hard for me to wrap my mind around all of that, but it's big. It's big. Heaven's a big place. In my father's house are many mansions. Okay, if everybody got saved, they'd have a place. And I thought about I thought about all of that. And I know that, that 1 Corinthians 2 is talking about the Word of God, but it, he makes a statement there that I think that we might illustrate heaven with. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And so, when I think about heaven, I think about that place. Then something happened to me. In 1981, my mother died. We, she'd been sick, and, and she went to the hospital. and as, as a last resort, they did exploratory surgery. Took about 15 minutes and sewed her up and said, no hope, right? Her old insides, everything, was just cancer. And so we went through that process with her, and I I watched my mom pass away, and I listened to her for a couple of days. She first had me go and round up all of her old Sunday school boys that uh, were grown now, and I did, and I brought them to her hospital room, and she witnessed them again. And uh, they had big old tough guys come out of the hospital room with tears running down their face, you know. I'd go look, round up another bunch and get a car load and take them up there, and she'd do the same to them. She told us some things while she was passing away, and I might tell you about that some other time, but after she passed away, I couldn't think about heaven without thinking about her. So if I could I'd just like to mention to you about the people in heaven today. There's people, there's people in heaven. And uh, then someone else would pass away. I think about heaven, I think about them then someone else. You know, what a blessing it is to be able to tell someone who loses their loved ones when you're doing the funeral that according to their testimony, they're in that place. And I'm sure most of us here, if not all of us, have lost someone a loved one, someone close, a family member, a friend, co worker. We've lost them. They're gone. I'd like you to keep your mind on them during this message, if you would. I have no doubt it's the hardest thing that we ever do in this life is to give up our loved ones. Even to the Lord. It's hard. We don't despair as those who have no hope. But it's tough. Now, I've come to this conclusion. I know more people in heaven than I know here. And that's, that's a fact. And if you have any age on you, you probably do as well. So they're there and I'm here. And when I think of heaven, I think about them. And I think about seeing them again. And I think about getting reacquainted with them again, in under much better circumstances than we, than we had here. And I look forward to that. And I miss them. I miss them daily. And I'm getting to the point in my life where I long, I actually long to see them. And we know where they are. And we know how to get there. That's the thing. Jesus said, I am the way. You want to go to heaven? He said, this place I'm talking about, this place of many mansions, my Father's house, you can go, and here's the way you go. He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. And So we're all going to have to stop at the cross on our way to heaven. And I'd say, who doesn't want to go to heaven, right? All except little Johnny, Sunday school teacher, said, all right, who all wants to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand, except him. She thought he didn't understand the question, so she said, now, everybody, who all wants to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand except him. She said, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven someday? He said, oh, yeah, someday. (laughs) He said, I thought she was getting up a bunch to go right now. That's the way we all are, Right? We want to go someday, but what if this is the day? What if it's today? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time, and our life is even as a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Well, anybody in their right mind would choose heaven. Heaven, if you turn to Revelation 21 and verse number 4. Heaven is a place, a land of no mores. You can describe heaven two different ways, by what is not there and by what is there. Revelation 21 and verse number 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Well, all of those things that cause that cause this death, sorrow, tears, pain, all, all of those things, the reason there's not going to be anymore is because the things that cause those things are not there. They're just they're just not there. There is no suffering, right? There is no sadness in heaven. The more I read about it, the more I want to go. So there'll be none of those things—no sickness nor disease, right? You live long enough, you're you're going to get something, right? That's what I told people at the start of this uh, virus deal, right? I remember a certain couple, and it, it hadn't even really started good. It just kind of announced it, and I went up to shake hands, and they put their hands behind their back. They said, we're not shaking hands anymore. They didn't come back to church and have not been back since then. Pastor Baker says he called them the other day, and he said, you know, when you get your shots, get your vaccines, you'll be able to come back to church. that would be a great thing. And he said, the lady told him, yeah, but they're only 85% effective. I, I don't understand. I mean, I, I didn't know we had that, that much of a chance at anything. <laughs> 85%, right? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. But uh, no, none of that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 and 43 says this. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. So we're leaving here one way, coming back another way. Uh, re, you know, and, and, and we'll leave these things behind. This mortal body, an immortal body. Sickness, there is no more. Weakness, there is no more. And uh, so, that's what we have to look forward to in the future. Not too distant future, I don't think. We used to wonder what it would take to shut us down. I don't know if you noticed this about Baptists, but we brag a lot. (laughs) About what somebody's going to do, and what somebody ain't going to do, and what we're going to let them do, and what we ain't going to let them do, and, and we dare them to do it, and all of this. You know what it took to shut us down? One little germ. One little... One little virus, everybody just surrendered to it. Now we're a bunch of hostages, you know. That's about it. No sickness in heaven, thank God for that. I don't know of a week in my Christian life that somebody has not said pray for me over this, of this sickness or other. Go to a prayer meeting in the church, sickness, 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 sickness. This one's sick, this one's sick. This one's going to get sick. This one has been sick. It's like Job said, man that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. A friend of mine used to say it's three stages. You're either going in it, coming out of it, or getting ready. So it's a continuous process. No sin in heaven, Jude 24, now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. Faultless. You might want to look that word faultless up. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy... We're not faultless now, but then. See, what we're trying to do is contrast here and there. I'm not faultless. Brother Wells is, is not faultless. Well, The Bible says we need to be blameless, but that don't mean somebody can't blame me. <laughs> People can blame me all they want to. He said just don't let it stick, right? But we're not faultless. I have my faults. You ask my wife, she'll tell you i got faults. Or better yet, don't ask her. Because it might take a while. The old song in our hymnals says this robe of flesh I'll drop. Now he's talking about this mortal body. And rise. He's talking about the resurrection. And seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air. Farewell. No more prayer. Farewell, sweet hour of prayer. There won't be any more. No need to pray, Right? I remember doing a funeral service, and in most funeral services, the funeral director gets it started, and then he departs. He goes out the door, and I don't know if he's got somebody out there listening for you to wind it down, or if he's listening in his office, I don't know. But for that day, he, he stayed in the congregation, sit back there, and I was preaching, and I remember they come a point there, and I said, when, when we get to heaven, I said, we, there won't be any more death. I said, we won't need any more hospitals. We won't need any more drugstores. No prescriptions. None of, none of that. I said, we won't need any funeral homes. I said, we won't need any funeral directors. That's so he said. I said, we won't need any funeral directors. And just without even a pause, he said, we won't need any more preachers. <laughs> I thought, that guy's sharp as a tack. You know, he just... <laughs> And I said, amen, you're right. There won't be any, more, won't be any preaching in heaven. None is, nothing that we know now, the way things are now, those things that aggravate us now. For some people, there won't be any marriage in heaven. Now, I think you'll know the person, but not like, not like now. I know the Mormons teach you're married for time and all eternity and all that, but that's just a pipe dream there. He said, they would be like the angels in heaven. Not angels, but like them in that regard. Might be a good thing. But it'll be a special relationship, I'm sure of that. I'm not trying to say they won't. No strangers in heaven, right? You and I, we're strangers. I've never met you, you've never met me. It's a little, you know, you'll go into a crowd, unless you're like Brother Rod Baker, (laughs) You know, he, I don't think he's ever met a stranger. But for me, I get a little leery. I, somebody comes to my door, and, and I go through, and I look through the glass, and I think, what's this guy want, you know? Uh, usually they want to uh, do your driveway or something, you know. Uh, one guy would to sell me meat off the back of a truck. Uh, I mean, I got nothing, I got no problem with him trying to make money. I, I don't, I don't know how many times he's unplugged that freezer. You know, it's just a freezer sitting in the back of a pickup. And I, I don't know where he got it. I don't know what it is, right? It's different quality meat. I, I'm a Baptist enough to know that. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I'm kind of leery. I mean, even in church, you see somebody come up and they, they, they walk in and they've got a Bible this big and, you know, crosses hung around their neck, and I'm thinking, what's this guy's deal? I always want to know what they're doing. I'm suspicious, you know, I, and, and I'm supposed to be suspicious of a lot of things. But there won't be, nobody will take you by surprise in heaven. You won't be nervous in heaven. We'll know people there. There's an old song. I, I, I used to love to, my mother and I used to sing it. I will not be a stranger when I get to that city. Why? Because I'm acquainted with folks over there. There's no strangers in heaven. I know people there. And the ones I don't know, never met, I'll know them too. Because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see through a glass Darkly, obscurely. You've, you've looked through a glass, an obscure glass. You can't see clear, but you can see enough to know there's something there. That's about the way this, this life is. That's the way we see things now. But then he says, face to face, Now I know in part. I don't know everything. As I said, I don't know a whole, a whole lot of anything. But then shall I know even as I'm also known. So I will know. You will know. No strangers in heaven, no sadness in heaven. No more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Your heart will never be broken in heaven. You ever had a broken heart? Most of us have. I remember I was 13 years old and a little girl broke my heart. When I was 12 years old, my fourth grade teacher broke my heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was serious. Yeah. I give her a valentine. I looked at that valentine I read that I thought this is it give that to her yeah I've had my heart broken that way I've had my heart broken because of friends right family members church people (laughs) no more broken hearts in heaven no sadness in heaven you'll never be rejected in heaven never you'll never grieve in heaven never again no more sorrow so there's no grieving it's hard to wrap our minds around that and I don't think we can I don't think we ever will until we get there no more suffering in heaven Revelation seven sixteen. they shall hunger no more neither thirst any more neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat no suffering in heaven. We see those folks all the time over in Beckley. You go to Walmart, you come down, there's an intersection there, and it's a pretty long light, and they always have a cardboard sign, we'll work for food, or something. One day, a friend and I were going down there. He has this big pickup truck, and he was driving, and he was sitting there, and he kept looking at that guy. He pulled up to him, he rolled the window down. He says, get in the back. The guy said, "What do you mean?" He said, "You said you'd work for food. I've got plenty of work to do, and I've got plenty of food. Jump in there, and let's go." And the fellow said, "Oh well, I don't, know. I don't know, uh, I don't want to lose my spot here. <laughs> See, look, I know there are people in this world who are hungry. I know there's people who are suffering. I know there's people who are hurting, and I would, I would do most anything to help them if I could." And look, I don't believe in a social gospel. You may have to feed somebody to give them the gospel because it's hard for a person to digest the uh, the gospel when they've not had anything to eat in a few days. But other than that, I don't think that takes the place of the Great Commission. I don't think that takes the place of soul winning. But I do think we ought to relieve people's suffering the best that we can. But there won't be any suffering in heaven. And there won't be any Satan in heaven. Revelation 20.10 And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. No more devil. <laughs> one guy said to, to the other and he said, Do you believe that the devil's real? He said, I know he's real. He said, I married his sister. Well, I didn't marry his sister, but I know he's real. Boy, is he slick. It don't take much, does it? Things be going fine, and all of a sudden somebody looks at somebody crossways. Oh, I don't like that look. You see the way they looked at me. Next thing you know, the church is split. Well, we're a sensitive bunch, ain't we? The devil knows. I mean, you say, well, I don't look at that drunk. That's not my problem. I, I, don't, I don't want nothing to drink. Throw a big apple pie in front of me, man, I'll tear that all to pieces. I got other problems. I do. Yeah. We all got problems. The devil makes sure he exploits every weakness that we have. And you'll fight him every day if you want to walk in the spirit. And those things won't be there. Let me just briefly just give you a couple of things that will be there. Jesus will be there. He said, I will come again. And he goes on to say that where I am, there you may be also. And another familiar verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Forever be. Eternally be with the Lord. I like that illustration of eternity that a guy gave one time. How long is eternity, they said. And he said, here is what eternity is. Take a little bird, pick up a grain of sand over on the shore of England. Let him fly it back to the east coast of the United States and drop it. Fly back, get another grain, bring it back. He said when those, the, all those grains of sand along the ocean on one side are empty, eternity will just be getting started. We don't, we don't have no concept of eternity, but so shall we ever be with the Lord, I used to read that um, passage there in Revelation 19 where the Lord leaves heaven on this big white horse, right? And he's sailing out of heaven on this big white horse. And it says, and the armies of heaven followed him on the white horses. I'm thinking, okay, that's me. That's got to be me, right? So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherever he is, that's where I'm going to be. Now, let's don't get like the Jehovah Witnesses and say, the, 140 you, the closer you get, the more books you sell, the more visits you make, the more doors you knock, the closer you get to where God's at. They did pretty good until they they got up to 144,000. Their membership went over that, and then they didn't know what to do. Now, what do we do with this 144,001 guy here? Where's he going to be? Then they had to change their theology. And now it's, uh well... You know, just get closer, but then you'll get on farther away. And all this, oh my gosh, what a bunch of malarkey, right? Don't ever fall for that. The triune God will be there. The Lord Jesus Christ will be there. I will be there. You can be there. I hope you can say, I'm going to be there. (laughs) I'm going to be there. Those that we begin with, our family, our friends we know who were saved, they'll be there. When my mom lay on her deathbed, and listen, I don't don't build my theology on emotions, on dreams, and on all that stuff. I don't. But my mother kept from her hospital bed looking at the opposite wall. And she would keep saying, Water, water. So my sisters would run and get a glass of water. And they'd try it, she wouldn't drink it. But she kept saying, Water, water. And she was looking right dead at that wall, like she was looking at a movie screen. And I said, Mom, what is it? And she said, Look at that water. Look at, look at that water. She was actually seeing water. Some kind of water, a body of water. Then she started calling names of people. Her mother, her daddy, her sisters, people that she knew, my daddy, neighbors that had went on, fellow church members that had died. She started calling their names. And she kept that up, looking and calling names. And she'd say, look at the water. Look at the flowers. I've never, she said, I've never seen flowers like that. And finally she said, there he is. There he is. And I said, who is it, Mom? She said, it's the Lord. Well, you're talking about getting floored. I don't know what to say. I was thinking a lot of thoughts. I was thinking, she... Can people actually see the Lord? Is it the medicine? Is it, is it you know, some kind of illusion? What, what, what is it? But it was real to her. And I said, finally I thought, I said, Mom, what's he look like? And here was her answer. She said, he is the most beautiful person I've ever seen. And I kept pumping her for information. She said two or three other things, and I asked her a question, and she said, I cannot tell you anymore. That's all I can say. And when along, she passed away. Had, I had no doubt that she went to be with the Lord. Like I say, look, there's people tell you about dreams, they'll tell you, and they try to make a, you know, a doctrine out of it. They, they, it, it. But she never told me anything that was contrary to what the Bible says. And, and those people will be there. What have they been doing all this time? <laughs> I don't know. I'll find out one day. A lot of people want to go to heaven. But they don't want to go the way God says to go. To go to heaven, there's some things involved. One is a conviction of sin. No man comes to the, uh, to, to, to the, uh, to the Father except by me. And another place, no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit of God draw him. Conviction of sin, and that only happens when we hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he died for our sins. That's, that's a part of the gospel. He died for our sins, not his, on the cross. He was buried. That's another part of the gospel, First Corinthians uh, chapter, three, or chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. He, he, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And then there's another part that we leave out sometimes. And he was seen. Evidence of it. And that's the gospel. And that he'll save any person. Now, unless you're one of those hyper-Calvinist people, I don't know how they figure it out. Some's going to get it, some ain't going to get it, and you can't do anything about it. Well, what are we doing here then? If I'm going to heaven, there's nothing I can do about it. I don't have to go anywhere or do anything. i just wait around to the end and go. The Bible says God's not willing that any. That word any, I'm, I'm smart enough to know what that means. That any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So there's this trusting the gospel. And then a repentance of sin, which is very seldom ever mentioned anymore. Here's what's mentioned in most churches. You want to hear what it is? Repeat this prayer after me. Look, I'm all for prayer. I'm all for prayer. I'm in. Say we need to pray. i pray. I'll pray with you. Somebody asked me in a department store. They said, Preacher, uh, look, I need you to pray for me. I said, okay, come on over here then. Step out of the aisle and let's pray. And we pray right there. What's the point in waiting? Right? I'm, I'm for prayer. Prayer meeting, is pray. Church services, part of it is prayer. But there's nowhere in the Word of God when it says, if you'll repeat a prayer, you'll be saved. Nowhere. Now, we ought to pray. Or, and that's part of it, but it's not the only part of it. So, repeat this prayer after me. Lord, 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 do this, do that, and that, and I believe this, and I believe that. Fine and dandy. Fine and dandy, if you believe it. <laughs> if you're just in words, forget it. We're saved by grace, God's grace, through faith. And that faith has an object, and that object is the Son of God. And so our faith must be in him and him alone and not in anything else. And he says, and I am the way, truth and the life." What does me good is to know that I'm saved, a child of God. I have a sweet fellowship with God. One of these days, and I don't know when, I'll leave this world, sown in weakness, and I'll go be with the Lord. So, body will be left. I don't like it anymore, anyway, so what's the point? I don't need this thing. The real person, the soul, that's who we are. It's coming out of it, soul and the spirit. We want to be in the presence of the Lord. One of these days, this body will be raised. Changed, changed into a body like his most glorious body. I don't know about you today. When you think about heaven, what do you think about? The place or the people? And do you think about what won't be there? And do you think about what will be there? Because look, eternity is a lot longer than this place. And I tell you, I can't even go on a vacation. Somebody says, I'm going on vacation. We're, here's where we're going. I try to find out everything I can about that place, where it's at, what roads go into it. I want to get down there and get lost. GPS starts saying, uh, recalculating, and here I am, to, you know, in the middle of a bunch of craziness. I want to know where I'm at right before I get there. I want to find out what there is to see there, what there is to do there, what I'm going to be doing. And heaven is no different. I'm, I'm making preparations. All those preparations have already been made. And so I am in God's Word, studying God's Word, reading God's Word, and trying to do the work that Brother Wells talked about this morning in his Sunday school class of perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Until we all come in that unity of the faith. If you're here today, and you don't know Christ, and you're not sure about heaven, you can be. You can be. And I would encourage you, I'll tell you what, in just a moment, I'm going to stand down here at the front. And if there's anybody here who says, preacher, I don't have the surety of heaven. I don't have any assurance of it. But I'd like to go. It begins with an awareness of your sins. We've all sinners, all of us. Some bigger sinners, some little sinners, but we're all missed the mark. Admit that to God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who paid the debt of your sin in full. Turn away from your sins in repentance. God, I'm willing. You'll help me. I'm going to turn from this sinful life. And I put my faith And you and you alone. God save me. Meet me right down here and let's have a word of prayer and start a new life in Christ. song leader I'm sure is going to come and prepare us a song to close with. And come. If you need to come to this altar and pray, maybe there's somebody that's on your heart today, somebody that has left this world and you miss them. Look, Nothing wrong with looking to God and saying, God, thank you for their life and in my life. And I look forward to seeing them someday. God is able to do all things. He can save you. And he can make you excited about your Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for these folks, Lord, and how gracious they've been. To have me here and to listen today. I pray your word and I'll, I'll claim that promise in the Old Testament. That as your word went out it would not return void. That it will accomplish your intended purpose. Have your way Lord in every heart and life. May the Holy Spirit of God do his work here today in our hearts. And for all of that Lord we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand